Anyhow, I want to um, kind of continue on with this message of trusting in the Lord during this time. If, if there's a slide that can get slitted up on the screen, I, it looks like it may have killed the TV again. When I took my mask off, it died. I think there's a connection there. It's in rebellion. And the, the message today is called uh, The Humility That Gets Grace. And I want to read two scriptures today and then um, help us to continue with a posture that welcomes God into these bizarre days. I'm going to read from First Peter, which was already quoted today. And then I'm going to read from Jeremiah 29. First Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 5, says this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And this is the important part. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then it goes on from there and says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he might exalt you. And he continues on to there, to the verses that Lisa shared with us earlier. And then I also want to read to you some of the more, one of the more famous verses from Scripture, Jeremiah 29, this famous promise. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations to the, from the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. All right, the humility that gets grace. Um, it has been about a year since this whole COVID event started. If you were tracking the news, it was about November, maybe late October, November, December, when the news articles started coming out of Asia that something weird was happening there. And so we've been in this for about a year. And just for posterity's sake, if somebody's listening to this message five years from now, we in Steinbeck went from code yellow-ish, which meant be vigilant and wash your hands a lot, through to code orange, to code red, to like half circuit breaker all in about 10 days or something like that. So right now you can legally have five people together, but you're really not supposed to. And if they could legally keep you from having five people from meeting, they would do that, but they can't legally. And so they're, I think, demonstrating that we're not quite under a tyranny by by obeying the letter of the law, but that's where we're at. And that happened in about 10-ish days, under two weeks or whatever, and so most of us are still reeling um, from it in one way or another. And we're in this phase, in our city at least, where the, the hospital is totally full, or saying they're totally full, I'm not sure how it goes from hour to hour. Um, lots of cases there. Um, there's a few deaths reported every day-ish, and uh, it's in our circles. You know, there's people in our church who have COVID and people who are recovering from it. So that's where we're at. If you're watching this years later, that's kind of where we're at right now. And one of the things that I'm noticing about this is that there's, there's never, I don't think there's ever been a situation where there's been so much disagreement where everybody's kind of right, even though they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Amen? So... Let me give you a couple for instances. Um, 
to try to keep people from meeting so that this thing doesn't spread, so that it tries to protect the vulnerable, which would be pretty much people over 60 who are vulnerable of getting sick and dying from this thing, is, pr- is probably totally right to do. At the same time, to not like that it's happening because as soon as you de- declare a lockdown, the people who struggle with depression, suicidal thoughts, and, and addictions are completely discouraged and vulnerable again is totally right as well. And so it's, it's just this weird time where people who are under 30 who are pretty much safe from COVID are the ones probably most impacted negatively by the lockdown because it's probably people under 30 who are most likely to go back to drinking or go back to drugs or be stuck in an abusive relationship or to be thinking suicidal thoughts right now because they can't get the support they need anymore. And so to not have a lockdown and to have a lockdown are both right depending on who you are and who you're caring about. How do you fix this? There is no solution. Um, There's only trade-offs. And then in more in the Christian camp, there's the like theological, are lockdowns sin by the government or are they helpful by the government? And I look at both sides of this thing and I'm like, You're pro- they're probably both, both really right. Um, in an ideal world, secular government should never tell a church to shut down because we belong to God and they actually don't have authority over us because we're heaven on earth and only heaven has authority over us. So when people say government shouldn't be doing this, I'm like, yeah, Totally. Yeah, I'm not getting a lot of head nodding here, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, totally. They, they, we're, we're, we're the people of God. Nobody tells us what to do but God. Um, at the same time, I'm pretty sure that if we had three or 400 people meeting in this building right now, COVID would have already come through the door, and more people would be leaving after worship and the message was COVID than came in here. And so do I regret not spreading that because we're submitting to the rule to not be meeting today? No, I don't regret not spreading that at all. Um, So I think it's right to do this. And at the same time, I think it's also right to seize on some good opportunities to go the second mile. You may remember, I feel like with this extra lockdown, I just want to preach all the messages I preached during the first lockdown. One of the messages was about um, going the second mile and getting slapped on the other cheek. And the whole thing when Jesus was talking about going the second mile, it was Roman soldiers had a right to force Israelites to carry their backpack for a mile when they were on the march. It was all about a government forcing people to do things they didn't want to do. And Jesus said, when governments force you to do something you don't want to do, put a smile on your face and do it two times. Be the best abreast people you can be. And it reminds me of Brother Yun, anybody, the heavenly man book or whatever, he, he was being sent to prison again with a bunch of Christians and was totally wrong, communist dictatorship, totally wrong that they were getting in prison for it. And what they decided to do was to worship the Lord by being the best inmates they could be. So if they were told to clean the floor, they would have the cleanest floor in the prison. And if they were told to make their bed, they would have the best made beds in the prison. And over time, the guards started noticing that these were the best inmates in the world and the guards actually started treating them a bit better. But they were the best oppressed people in the prison for the sake of Christ. And you and I need opportunities to do that. Because we don't get to, usually. Whatever. What about masks? I don't know. I wear them. I don't like them. I feel like I'm breathing through my own... I call them the jaw strap because it feels like you're breathing through your own underpants after a while. 
And at the same time, when I put it on, I just wear it for the rest of the day, which is also probably bad. So you know, I'm that guy driving down the road with his mask on in the car by himself because it just becomes like, the, I forget that it's even there. I just, you know, whatever. And at the same time, I totally respect that many of the people who are being the most heroic right now have to wear their masks for 12 to 13 hours a day. And so how can you complain about a mask when the people who have it the worst can't take it off? Amen? So what I'm trying to share at least is as I don't stop thinking about these things, I feel like we're in this time where so many opposing sides of disagreements and divisions have something true to say. And we are in this place where um, everyone's kind of right and everyone's kind of wrong. And I think the only way through this is a profound humility by faith in the Lord. Hoping to get God and to welcome the grace of God in these really difficult situations. Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to people who seek humility. That's why I think, you know, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I don't know what God's doing in the world. But just as a Christian thinker, like small T, not capital T, it seems really apparent to me that if nothing else, God is humbling the world. Or at least calling us to be humble. Knowing that the God of the universe opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Don't you want grace? In this impossible time, isn't what you really need grace? When your situation is different than everybody else's situation and what you're hurting from and what you need are probably very valid and nobody's getting what they want and nobody's getting what they need, isn't what we really need grace? The God of the universe to say, I'm going to help you for free. And so isn't it really important to know that he's told us that humility is the way that we really welcome that? Even if we're being wronged or even if somebody's misunderstanding or even if we're going to look back two years from now or three years from now and say yeah what calvary chapel did wasn't the right thing but we sought humility so that god would give us grace isn't that actually the wise thing to do because i'm not sure that every decision i'm making as a leader is the right one uh let's just agree that maybe 50 percent 50 51 is a win (laughs) 51 of our choices during this time is right let's that's a way we can just be humble. Like, I just need enough to be voted into office. You know what I mean? I, to the 50% plus one, I'll take it. I don't know. How do you know? How do you know? If you say not a big deal and then it, the mu- virus mutates and it's like 90% of the planet is wiped out, how do you know? I don't think that's going to happen. Please don't panic. Don't go on the internet right now. Don't Google anything. Don't Google about the minks being culled. Don't do it. Don't Google minks. It won't improve your day. It's a joke. I was a joke. Those poor minks. Anyhow, you're going to Google the minks. You know, if we just encourage the fur coat trade, huh? Huh? The Netherlands would be doing so much better right now. Now you're going to be Googling it. The next three points of the sermon, no one's going to hear. Ah, what did I, why did I do this? So what I want to do is I want to take us back to this promise from Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, plans 
for your welfare and not for evil, to give you hope and a future, which very often have been used as good encouragements, in the, especially in the charismatic world, and rightly so, but often without the background and often without the context. And so I want to look at the context of this promise from Jeremiah to the people of God, and I want to just really help us to see how profoundly gracious God is and how um, a deep humility welcomes a earth-transforming grace from the God of heaven and earth. And to see this as a call to just humble ourselves, whether we like it or not, whether we think it's just or not, we are under this COVID event by the hand of God. And before we sort out the details, we need to humble ourselves under his hand. Because that's where you're going to get grace. God has a plan, and God is good, and he knows how to work these things out, and he already knows what he's going to do through and out of this whole situation, and it will be for the good of the church, one way or the other. But how we get through this is through the humility that gets grace. So this was the scenario in Jeremiah's time. Um, God had chosen Abraham to create a people with in order to display his goodness in the world. And he promised Abraham that he was going to take this one man and his barren wife and create a nation with kings that was going to be so big that it would be innumerable. There's more people than grains of sand on the earth, he promised, or stars in the heavens, which is a lot. And Abraham had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became 12 tribes. And they spent some time oppressed in Egypt, and God rescued them through the hand of Moses and brought them into the promised land, which is the nation of Israel. And God's promise in the promised land is he wanted to make them a great blessed nation so that all the other nations could see how much a nation is blessed when they believe in Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, and that they would get jealous for that blessing and that they too would want to have Yahweh as their God so that their nations could be blessed as much as um, Abraham's descendants, the nation of Israel. That was his plan. But he warned Israel, saying, if you are not faithful to me and if you are persistent in idolatry and you won't obey my commands, you won't love me with all of your heart, I'll wrestle with you, but eventually I will exile you from the land. I will kick you out of the land. And he promises this throughout the Torah, through the writings of Moses. His promise is, I want to give you this land flowing with milk and honey. I want to protect you while you're in there. I want to give you tons of kids and your livestock, tons of kids. I want to make you wealthy and healthy and all the good stuff that you could want. And the price of staying in the land was to love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all of your strength from Leviticus, that book that we all don't read because it seems super boring and Jesus seemed to tell us that the second greatest commandment was tucked away in there. That was the plan. But Israel never really was fully devoted to God. There were some major high points like in the reign of King David and the reign of Solomon. But Israel was never never totally just... Um, free of the temptation to become like the nations around it. And eventually, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into exile. And then Jeremiah is writing during the time when the nation of Judah, which is a diminished nation, a smaller group of people, is being um, defeated by King Nebuchadnezzar. And already there is a group of people who have been taken to Babylon to exile. And it's hard for us to comprehend just how devastating this would have been for the Israelites, especially the exiles, that they would be 
conquered from their homeland. They would have been saying to themselves, you know, God's going to save us, God's going to save us. But then they were defeated and they were taken out of the nation of Israel. And for them, being in the land meant you were being where you were supposed to be, that all things were right with the world because you were in Israel and you had Jerusalem and the temple was in Jerusalem and you could go to the temple and you could worship the Lord. And they were They were forcefully taken out of the promised land and away from the presence of God in the temple and taken to Babylon. And the reason that happened was because um, this was the threat, is that whenever people would rebel against Nebuchadnezzar in order to demoralize them and to destroy their hope of ever rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar, he would move them. He would take them from their homeland and take them somewhere else, which would um, demoralize them, give them some, take away the one thing they could fight for, which would be their homes. And usually over time, through intermarriage, it would just like disperse the people group. So whatever people group was con- conquered would no longer be a people group anymore that would think of even having its own identity. So that was the plan. And so Jeremiah is writing in this context. There are still some people in Jerusalem, But there is a group of people in exile in Babylon, and he is writing to these people. And so what he's... And this is what God says about Nebuchadnezzar. It's hard to imagine, like even with the COVID stuff, I don't think the COVID stuff even comes close to the mental devastation of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar over the Middle East. This this killing machine, this unstoppable warrior God-man who thought he was part God, just totally devastating every nation that he even comes close to. And this is what, in verse or chapter 27, Jeremiah says to um, all of the kings in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. This is what he says. He said, starting in verse 2, The Lord said to me, Make yourself straps and yoke bars, which are those things that you would put over an ox when you make it plow, and put them on your neck. So here's Jeremiah prophesying with yokes on... Send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, the king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon by the hand of the envoys that have come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, the king of Judah. So he wants to talk to all of these kings in this area. He says, give them this charge for their masters. So there's messengers in Jerusalem, and he wants all of the kings to hear about it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and the animals that are on the earth. And I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Let's just stop there. Let's remember who we're worshiping. The one we call Father and the Christ we call Lord and the Spirit we call our indweller is the God that through his mighty hand has created all things in heaven and earth, the men and all the animals, and he says he has the right to give it over to whatever he wants to. He does what is right in his own eyes. I give it to whoever it seems right to me. Humility test one. Do we know that God is going to do what's ever right in his eyes? And are we prepared to let him do that? Even if you say no, what doesn't change anything. That's part of the point here. This is God talking to kings. I made all this stuff, including everything you think you rule over, and I give it to whoever it seems right to me. Verse 6, now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. 
And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. Just think of how amazing it would be to hear anybody say this. You've got all these kings together. They think they're owning everything and they're planning. They're probably planning together. Man, how could we get rid of this Nebuchadnezzar? Man, if we pool our resources, you get your soldiers over here and you get your soldiers and you get your Navy SEALs over here. Navy SEALs. And you get your guys. We could throw off the yoke here. And in the midst of their conspiring, like these are seven kings we're talking about or six kings or however many kings there are here. There's a lot of kings. Jeremiah shows up and said, actually, God is in charge here and he's given it to Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar's going to reign and then his son is going to reign and then his grandsons are going to reign and then they're all dead. That's the plan. And I can only imagine for, like forget all the other kings, but at least the people in Jerusalem hearing this, this would have been such a huge pill to swallow. That your God would be telling you that some other pagan king who worships idols is in charge for three generations, no questions asked. Hokey doodle. Now in the midst of this, Jeremiah as a prophet is dealing with the fact that there are other prophets in their midst who are kind of prophesying against this three generations of Babylonian rule. And one of the things they're prophesying, and I won't read it, but you can read about it, is that they keep saying, this isn't going to last. This isn't going to last. Before two years are over, you're all going to... They're saying to the exiles, before two years are over, all the exiles are going to be coming back. Or they're saying to Jerusalem, before two years are, old, are over, all of the utensils from the temple that Nebuchadnezzar took are going to be back. It's just two years. Just hold your breath. It's just two years. Just hold your breath. It's just two years. Just hold your breath. And this is when Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles. He's in Jerusalem and he's writing to the exiles in Babylon. And he writes this letter, which is such a letter of hope and such a discouragement if your hope was in just the two years, the short time. And so this is the letter. We'll read a lot of chapter 29 here. Excuse me. This, this is verse 3, and the letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shephan, and Gemariah, I should have practiced that name, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. It said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in your name. 
I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back from this place. For I know the plans I have for you. declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from the place from which I sent you into exile. The price of the blessing was 70 years of humility. Of stopping kicking against the judgment. Of stopping kicking against Nebuchadnezzar. Of stopping kicking against the time frame. Of of stopping wanting it to be over tomorrow. No, maybe the next day. No, maybe the next day. No, maybe the next day. Maybe two years. Maybe it would be all over in two years. The price of the promise. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to bless you. To give you good welfare and a future and a hope. Was to stop putting your hope in a short time frame in a different person. And just keep your hope in the goodness of Yahweh, the one who created the heavens and the earth. And uh, I don't know if you've been like me or hoping like me, but there is a lot of kicking against the goads. I didn't totally know this because I don't follow this stuff, but apparently when the COVID stuff started happening, you know, some people in the in the church were proclaiming, you know, this thing's going to be over in two weeks. And the government, you remember, was saying two weeks to flatten the curve. Do you remember that? Two weeks to flatten the curve. And maybe they thought that would do it, or maybe they were just starting to eat. Uh, for me, I don't think there's any conspiracies. I just think we don't know what we're doing. And after the, the not knowing builds up enough, people think that there's something sinister going on. And I don't worry about conspiracies that much. So this is totally a rabbit trail, but for people who worry about conspiracies, this is what I know about God. God hates conspiracies. When people try to pull off conspiracies, God takes it as a personal affront against him, and he sets his wisdom and power and counsel against frustrating their plans and exposing their weakness and totally exposing conspirators as losers. And so I don't even worry about conspiracies because I know God's going to make them look like idiots. Probably in this life, definitely in the next. Trying to pull off a secret sin is asking God to kick you in the teeth. So don't do it. Stupid. Um, he's a God of truth. What else are you going to do? And he's a God of humility. Conspiracies are just pride. And he opposes the proud. Trying to trick people into doing things they don't want to do is just pride. And he opposes the proud. It's good news that God opposes the proud. We actually don't have to worry about them as nearly as much as we want to because God takes it personally when this stuff happens. And he sets himself to do something about it. That's not what I'm talking about right now. If you're normal, if you're like me, you've just been wanting this to go away for a while. And people have been trying to make this go away for a while. And you've hoping this wouldn't happen or whatever, how many rounds we're in. And a lot of the churches have been prophesying that it was going to go away in like April. People were saying it was going to be done at the Passover because of something that was going on with some calendars. And it, it's all just 
turning out to take longer and be worse than anybody's wanted or said it was going to be. And so this just reminds me so much of Nebuchadnezzar. God just was keep, kept telling people through Jeremiah, Nebuchadnezzar is not going away. Putting your hope in Nebuchadnezzar having a heart attack is not where your hope should be. He's going to live a long time. He's going to be king the whole time. And then his son and his grandson are going to have a kick at the can too. And then it's going to be over. And then he goes to the exiles and he says to them, unpack your bags. Buy a house. Set up a business. Marry off your kids. Your kids are going to get married here too. Because it's going to be 70 years. And can, I just, can we just feel for a second? Imagine if you had been hoping that you were going to get back there, back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, soon hearing somebody say, no, no. And I, I did the math. <laughs> for most of the Israelites hearing this message, it's going to be 70 years. It meant that they weren't going home. Because if you're 20, you would be 90. And if you're 30, you'd be 100. It, it, just think about that. And what it does for me, it just reminds me that this life is not a game. This life is not a game. It doesn't have a reset button. It doesn't, it doesn't promise to be easy. God promises us that it's through many trials that we're going to enter into the kingdom of God. And so putting your hope on ease and pu- putting your hope on things going away quickly is just, it's, it's just not right. It's not going to help. Now, you can hear what Jeremiah said, and you can get discouraged, and you can think, why did I tune into this stupid message? This is the worst message ever. Somebody's already smiling at the back, so whatever. We can talk about my poor preaching during COVID. All I want is 51%, right? 51% of good messages, and I'm happy. But this is the thing. I want to point out the profound graciousness of God in this letter. I don't think anybody understands how gracious God is. And he's on display here in this letter. Number one, sign of God's graciousness in this letter. No, nobody here understands what the exile meant. God had warned the Israelites for their entire existence that exile from the promised land was the greatest sign of rejection possible by God. I don't know what you might be worried about for rejection, being rejected in marriage, being rejected for a job application, being rejected for for anything. Maybe find out your parents aren't proud of you. There's a lot of fear of rejection in the world. But to be exiled from Israel by Yahweh, God had told them for centuries, this is the greatest sign of me rejecting you possible. It is the greatest sign of your failure to be faithful and the possibility of just, just me needing to have holiness and justice against your treatment of me, this was their mindset. This is the worst possible thing that can happen and you still be alive. That was their mindset. And so here are these exiles in Jerusalem. And what is God doing to them? What does he say to them when they're in the experience of the greatest rejection possible? He says to them, humble yourself because I have a plan for you. Like, who do you know who's like this? Who could be like, say to you, you have wounded me beyond description. 
and if you'll, you'll just believe me, I will be at your house with pizza this evening. Who could be sent to jail for mass murder and have the judge say to you, I condemn all of your crimes and your evil, and if you will just accept the punishment, I will come and make my house in your jail cell with you and love you till the day I die. And this is what God is doing in this letter. He's writing to these people who have totally deservedly been rejected and saying, and I am with you in Babylon. All you have to do is stop kicking against Nebuchadnezzar and I will make this time a blessed time. That's my desire. And then I will bring you home. And one of the reasons why Israel had to go through times like this is so that you and I would know what God is like, not by promise alone, but by history, by what God has actually done. The worst thing that God's people could do, they did until God had to do the biggest punishment possible. And then in the midst of that, he says to them, I am still with you, and I still want to bless you, and I still want to be your God, and I want to be with you in the midst of the worst to do you good. Who's like this? And sometimes there are people who grew up in the church and maybe went away from the church and there is this rage in them because they feel like they're being punished by God by the choices they made. Maybe they walked away from God. Maybe they've been just given into anger. Maybe they've been doing things they know aren't right and they're now angry at God because they feel like some of the consequences of their choices are God's punishment against them. And we have this letter from Jeremiah to say, even if that's true, today God is saying, just turn to Jesus. I have a plan to bless you. That's his heart. That's grace. That's grace. Even if you are the worst person in the world, if you humble yourself to God today, he has a plan for you, for your welfare and for your future, for your good and not to do you evil. This is the grace of God proven by history. So that all of us can go into tomorrow and today saying, even if I do the worst, if by God's grace I'll humble myself, he will be there with grace to do me good, even in an exile. This is, this is maybe one of the most beautiful parts of scripture. And if, but if we just see things like, I deserve to be in Israel and I deserve to be at the temple and this seems lousy, we'll never see how beautiful and amazing the God of our Lord Jesus Christ is to be so persistently reaching out and saying, just, just stop kicking against me and I will take care of you. Number two, reason this is amazing. They could have heard a loss of hope when he was saying build houses and have families. But when you hear this line from the command here, he says, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. That word multiply, is that a big word? Does anybody know their Bible in here? I know a couple people do. When God created the heavens and the earth, And he made male and female. What did he tell them to do in the earth? He told them to increase and multiply. He blessed them with this blessing to increase and multiply. And when he went to Abraham, who was this old man with a barren wife, his promise was, I'm going to multiply you. And multiply is a blessed, promised, covenant word for the people of God. When God says, 
you're going to multiply, that means I'm with you to bless you. Having lots of kids was how you did it in the Old Testament. And so when God says to them, don't decrease but multiply, he's saying to them, in Babylon, my blessing is still with you. Not just grace like I forgive you and I'll be with you. No, even there I want the big blessing. The, to be multiplied was the big blessing of the Old Testament right from the first chapter of Genesis. To multiply as a people was exactly what God wanted to do with, with Adam and Eve and Abraham and the descendants. And so he's saying to them right in the midst of Babylon, I want to really do my blessing plan on you. And so if Nebuchadnezzar couldn't stop it, and if the rebellion couldn't stop it, God today, like, can COVID really stop the blessing of God from coming on a humble heart? If you'll just say, in my situation, I humble myself before the living God, he wants to, like, he's proving from history that even in the worst moment, his blessing can come through to you. If you'll take it how it comes. Maybe some people were standing there. I don't want to have a lot of kids in Babylon. I want to have kids in Israel. Not on the table. What is on the table is blessing in Babylon. Will you receive it? If the answer is yes, you get it. And there's part of us, I just want to call it, humility says, I want the blessings I can get during COVID. Maybe there's some blessings I can't get during COVID. But do you want the blessings that God wants to give you during this time? You can have it by faith, by humbling yourself. You can have all the blessings that are on the table during this day today. If you'll believe in Jesus and humble yourself and say, You're God. I humble myself. And this is the last thing I want to just add here. I'm probably going too long. I have been apologizing for going too long my entire 10-year preaching career here at Calvary Chapel. And I'll probably keep doing it. Some things never change. You need dependable things in your life, like an apology for going too long during every single sermon you hear. God promised to give them grace and be with them to fulfill his plans in Babylon. He promised to bless them in Babylon. And if you take these things together, what you actually get is that God is so redemptive and so capable of redeeming anything and everything that he actually wants to take these exiles that are like the symbol of blowing it with God and turn them into a missionary force. Because that was God's plan all along, to create a people under his blessing in the world so that the nations around the world could see the love and kindness and forgiveness of God and what God does to a people who humble themselves and believe in him and that they would become jealous to see him. And this is even the church. You know why so many Gentiles are coming into the the church still? It's because God wants to make people jealous for the blessings of Christ. To make people jealous for God by, by doing good to us and filling our hearts full of joy, even through hard times, and teach us how to love each other, which is what like, we are not good at without God nowadays, and to do good to us so that everybody else would say, I actually would like some of the goodness God does to you. And so God is reaching out to these exiles in Babylon, in in the city that destroyed their city, amongst the people who killed their people, in the midst of this horror of being stuck in Babylon during the exile. He says, 
if you'll trust me, I will turn you into a missionary force and I will be blessing you and multiplying you and I'll be with you so that these Gentiles will see the presence of God in their capital city where they think they're ruling everything. And then if you wonder if God actually did it, go read Daniel. Daniel was one of these exiles who was bringing the wisdom and presence of God right into the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. And so we see that God is on mission in the worst moment in Israel's history. God is still on mission to impact the world through his people. And we are, this is our God. We can, we are still on mission today. Even when you can't leave your house. Or even where you just have a small circle of people to impact. God never stops the mission. To make the unbelievers see him. That's the plan. That's the mission. And if God can do it through the exiles, how much more so now? And so this is part of why I'm calling us to the humility that gets grace. is because when we get grace because we humble ourselves before the Lord, we are empowered to do the mission of helping people who don't know him see him. Comes through the Holy Spirit, comes through gifts, whatever it is. And so this is this mindset, like, Lord, how do I do any good when when things are so restricted? You you humble yourself under the power of God and say, God, look at all these restrictions. But you created these restrictions. You created this virus. You're in charge of all this stuff. Forgive me and, and give me something to do. And the God of all grace will be with you to do it. He, he, like, it's true. He's not held back. It just might not be what we thought we were supposed to be doing today. Amen? So, some quick ideas about how we can show some humility. Number one, I I, I just think it's so important for me to just keep fostering acceptance of the situation. Whatever it is. Amy Carmichael says, acceptance brings peace. It's the only way. You just accept. I don't like it. I accept. God, give me grace. I humble myself. I accept that this is how it is today. I, well, I don't know what tomorrow is. If you called me to try to change something, I'll try to do it. But today, this is how today is. I accept. Number two, I think, way that we can show humility is that we can increase our pursuit of Jesus. We can be in the Word more. We can be praying more. We can be worshiping more. We can be making more time for Christ because nothing good comes in ourselves. Jesus said, apart from him, we can do no good thing. And so now is a great time to actually take that seriously and be like, I need more Jesus. Every, every trusting in Jesus is a type of humbling yourself. All faith in Jesus is actually, when it's real faith, it's all humble faith. We were looking to somebody else to do what we can't do. We we're looking to somebody else to be something we can't be. We we're looking to somebody else to, to help where we can't help. We we're looking to somebody who's Lord and we're not Lord. And so we just, we need more Jesus. We need more Jesus. Are you making time for Jesus? Are you pursuing Jesus? Are you trusting Jesus? Are you falling onto Jesus? Uh, number three, I think we can be great, um, great disagreeers. Um, like I was saying at the beginning, you know, there's a lot of rightness running around and there's a lot of us seeing other people not being right in the way we're right. And I think that now is a great time to shore humility by being wonderful disagreeers. Um, if you have a problem with somebody in leadership somewhere, um, why don't you disagree with them so well that they love you for it? Why don't you make them say, 
with enemies like this, who needs friends? Because you're such a humble, grace-filled disagreeer. Usually the saying is, with friends like these, who needs enemies? <laughs> and, and we're like that too often, right? Why don't you change it by the humble grace of God? Make people who you think are wrong say, man, with enemies like these, who needs friends? Amen? Um, uh, something Elizabeth Elliott said, I don't know if she made it up, she probably quoted somebody else, is just do the next thing. One way to humble yourself before the Lord and get grace is just to do what's in front of you. If it's a dirty diaper, do the dirty diaper. If it's a meal, do the meal. If you're going to work, go to work. Just do what's in front of you. We can trust the God who sent the Israelites to Babylon and told them to build houses there as their act of faith. Build a house. That's normal. Build a house. That's normal. Have a, get married. That's just normal stuff. Sometimes just doing normal stuff unto the Lord is this wonderful act of humility. When you're laying down, kicking against the goats. Uh, Another thing you can do is um, keep reaching out. You know, if you're afraid right now, this is such a weird thing. We know we're not supposed to be stressed out, but we are stressed out. And sometimes we're tired of being stressed out, but we're still like that. And we need to, we need to talk about it. I've noticed that there are a lot of people who, who don't have a lot of grace for people who are afraid. Because you know the Bible says, don't be afraid. Um, can you grow in grace for people who are afraid right now? And if we're afraid, can we try to not let that overtake us, but just confess, I'm afraid and I need the Lord, but as a way of humbling ourselves instead of going after each other? Um, I know I need to do that. But I also know, like, I, is it because I'm past time to be like, ah, I'm stressed out. People will be like, well, you shouldn't be stressed out. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I read the Bible. But it still feels weird in here because... Every other day, you've got all these changing responsibilities, just like everybody else. And so I humble myself. I just say, Lord, my heart's still pounding, and I need you. And I'm going to read more scripture and talk to people about it. So I'm humbling myself, and I'm getting lots of grace. I just don't feel exactly the way I want to feel. And we live in a time where we expect everyone to feel the way we want them to feel, and we expect ourselves to feel the way we want to feel, and... We don't have a lot of grace for when we don't feel how like we want to feel and other people don't feel like how we want them to feel and, and we go after each other. Um, another way we can really show humility is, yeah, just be like extra concerned about doing good to other people. Another way we can show humility is by believing that God has a future in front of us. When crazy things are happening right now, one of the things that happens is we forget that God has a future for us. And I don't think it's going to be 70 years. I don't think we're going to bury two generations before anything good can happen again. But what God was saying to you is, one of the ways you can show humility in your exile is by believing that the exile has an end date. And I was really blessed. I got an email this week from somebody who said, can you be a reference for me? I'm trying to join a missionary organization. I was just so blessed. Like, this <laughs> was... Right in the middle of Code Red, Circuit Breaker, somebody says, I want to go on international missions. I was like, yeah! You know, it's just like, it was just such a great reminder that this is going to happen again. And it stirred my spirit, because I've got desires to get out there and do stuff as well. And, and I think this is a great time to be humbling ourselves and just saying, Lord, I'm believing you for 600 people here on a Sunday morning. I'm believing you for going to a Muslim country to see what's going on there. I'm believing you for these things. I'm believing you for these things. I accept that I can't do it now, I humble myself, and I want the grace to someday do something like this. And so we put our eyes to the future as a way of believing God is in charge of the future. And it's going to be, you know, the present is different than we want, the future is going to be different than we want, but 
let's humble ourselves by believing God for good things for the future, that he can do it, that the same God that says, I have a plan for hope and a future, say, yeah, God, talk to me about that. Give me some dreams in the night about the future instead of just about the troubles now. I don't want to stop dreaming about the troubles. I keep waking up and I'm underwater. You know, whatever. Give me some. I want to be in an airplane someday. You know what I mean? And so ask the Lord to stir your heart for faith for the future. Not as like a rejection of God's sovereignty, but a believing in God's sovereignty. Amen? So these are just humble ways, a few humble ways that we can do this. But I think, I think this is the way forward. You know what? I could be 100% wrong. But I think what's going on in the world is that we are all getting a big dose of humility. And I think that the people who will do the best coming out of this are the ones that say yes to the humility now. And God, give the grace that humility welcomes. God, you say you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And I want grace. I want grace. I want grace. I want grace. I don't want freedom. I want grace. I don't want Christmas. I want grace. I don't want my way. I want grace. What we need is grace. We need God to determine to do us good in history. That's what we need. And how you get it is humility, says the word of the Lord. Amen. So let me pray out. I actually can't welcome the band up here and pray at the same time. Awkward. So I'm going to come and stand down here where it looks weird in the camera, and I'm going to pray while the band comes up. Father, we just humble ourselves before you, Lord. Whoever's hearing this, God, would you help us as we just yield to the circumstances here? Lord, we don't like it. And we know that there's probably stuff going on that you are dealing with. Lord, we don't want to humble ourselves in sin, but we want to humble ourselves to the God who defeats sin. Lord, wherever we might be being wronged and stuff, Lord, I want to hand over that to you. Could you deal with that, please? And Father, I pray that as we just yield our frustrations, yield our disappointments, yield to you in this, Lord, knowing that it's going to be grace, grace, grace that you send our way. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you you've chosen us. Thank you, Lord, you chose us for these times to endure what we need to endure and to be used how you want to use us. Father, I pray that you would raise up our hope to see what you're doing. The same way, Lord, the Israelites could have seen the worst in this letter, but you can also see the best in this letter. God, would you help? Give us great grace, Lord, as we yield to you in Jesus' name.